I'm going to, I'm going to start over though. Cause I'll probably cut this out. You know, uh, <laughs> okay. It's Thursday night. Cholent. We don't have Cholent. We have latkes and Sufganyot for uh, Hanukkah. We're learning a special Hanukkah edition of the Thursday night Cholent. We'll say for Sise Laila from Tzadaka Kain from Lublin. He was a Tzadaka Kain Rabinowitz, who was the, uh, he was a Talmud of the Ishbitzer, the Mea Shaloyach, <clears throat> who in turn was a Talmud of the Kotzker. You mentioned that we did a lot of Kotzk recently. Yeah. Thinking also of the Ger Rebbe, the Svas Emist was Kotzk. And did we do anything else that was... Uh, Kotzk, uh, uh, Kotzk derivatives. I think that was probably what we did. And, uh, okay, so the uh, Tzadik was, uh, was, a, was a Litvak, and he became a Chost. Not only became a chassid, he became a, a rabbi. Actually, I think most of his life he would not take a rabbonus. He had a used clothing store, for whatever that's worth. Interesting uh, information. He was a very, very prolific writer. One of his fodim is Rasisi Laila. We're going to learn from tonight. It's interesting, by the way. Rabbi El Khan, <clears throat> Oliver Shalom, was speaking about working on the sichas, on the Lubavitcher Rebbe's sichas. And one of the examples he gave of the Rebbe's memory, he said that once there was a sicha that uh, the edited version of the sicha that Rebbe wrote in a quote from uh, Rebbe Tzaddik, from uh, Rishis Elayla. Actually, it's not Rishis Elayla, it's the, there's a, like a hisaf on the back of Rishis Elayla that is published with it. And, uh, but anyways, over there, Rebbe Tzaddik's talking about the, the Indian of a birthday, of a Yemaladis. And the, uh, so the Rebbe wrote in the edited version of the Sicha, here's the quote, and the Rebbe t- told the Rebbe Yoel, I'm not sure this is exactly the quote, so just <clears throat> look it up and make sure this is it's correct. And Rebbe Yoel said, he looked it up, and it was like word for word. And he was saying, that, that shows you the Bikiyas of the Rebbe, because Rebbe Tzaddik is fairly new stuff. It's not like somebody who's quoting Shas or uh, Medrash Balpeh, you know, the classics. This is, uh, you know, Rebbe Tzaddik passed away in 1900. I think he was born 1823 and passed away uh, 1900. So, oh, and uh, in case those uh, people out there who like Hasidic trivia, the sicha that Rabbi Yol was talking about is Chelek uh, Hay of Lakote Sichas, and the sicha is entitled Chof Mar Cheshman. It's about, it starts with the story about uh, the Rebbe Rashab. The Rebbe Rashab's birthday was Chof Cheshman. It's a story about when he was a little boy, he came home from Cheder, and he was crying about uh, wanting Hashem to reveal himself to him like, like Hashem revealed himself to Avram. Anyways, so that's Reb Tzadik, uh, and we're going to learn from, we're not going to cover it all, but we're going to learn from, uh, where's page one? Why am I missing 165? Did I take this packet? Okay. What did I do with my paper? Oh, here it is. I found my missing paper. It's another packet. Okay. All right. So page 165 starts. Um, <clears throat> Pedic Nun Zion. We're not going to learn the whole Pedic, but it's very interesting stuff. Maybe we'll learn. Maybe maybe we'll jump around. Let, let, let's see. Okay. So, Inyan Mitzvah Snair. Hanukkah, we're, we're going to, later on when we upload this to Soul Words, I know people are watching this on YouTube, people watching this on Torah anytime, if you want to get the uh, the full features, if you want the PDF, you go to soulwords.org and uh, 
there should be a, a study guide underneath the video player. It should be like a little clickable thing where it says download the study guide and you'll get a PDF of exactly this page that we are reading from here. Okay. All right. Inyan mitzvah ner Hanukkah lezecher neis Hanukkah. What's the concept? What's the idea of lighting the menorah to commemorate the miracle of Hanukkah? Tzadik asks a question. It's, it's, it's a strange thing that that became the way that we commemorate Hanukkah. The main miracle actually had nothing to do with oil. That was after the fact, discovering the, the oil. But really it was that we were rescued from the Hellenistic attempt to assimilate the Jewish people. The miracle with the oil happened afterward, and it's really its own story. It's sort of almost an epilogue to the main story. And it really has no connection to the main story. Yeah. So he said, that that's exactly what he's about to say. Because in the Alanisim, it doesn't even mention the Nais. It mentions that they, they, that they lit the Menorah, right? It's all about the Muhammad. It's all about the Muhammad. It's about the defeating the odds and about the, 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 the small over the, the, the great. Exactly, exactly what he says. Ubanusach al, yeah, exactly. Ubanusach al Hanisim. It doesn't mention the miracle. It mentions that they lit the menorah. It doesn't mention a miracle of one day's worth of oil that lit for eight days. It doesn't say it in Viala Nisim. What does it mention? That after they were victorious with the battle, and that's what it speaks about at length, they were victorious militarily. After that, that afterwards they lit the candles. It doesn't even say that there was a miracle involved in that. Okay, so it's funny that we end up with the mitzvah of Ner Hanukkah. That the story really isn't mainly about that, and yet that's what we get. What do we get from it? For all these centuries and millennia, we get the the mitzvah of lighting the the menorah. So we want to understand why the mitzvah that we do seems to be so tangential to the, to the main story of Hanukkah. Okay. So now he explains a little bit that you need to have something. You need to have some type of act. Any salvation of the Jews that becomes commemorated for all generations he explains that, that that what when we commemorate the salvation of the Jews, what are we commemorating? We're commemorating that there was some type of spiritual deficiency that was the source of the problems. The problems were a manifestation of an inner deficiency within the Jews, and that that got cleared up, there, but there was an inner deficiency. 
Hagzadis, Vatsaris, Mikaidim, that what caused the, in this case, uh, evil decrees, but the oppression, the, the, what caused the, the threat to Jewish safety was an outer manifestation of inner spiritual stuff that we needed to fix. The Hakel B'mishpat, all of this stuff is sort of cause and effect, that there's inner stuff that we have to do, and therefore there becomes an outer representation of that, and then we fix the inner stuff. Sometimes we call it the Kitrig Lamaila, we fix whatever is going on in the heavenly court, and then everything down here on the terrestrial plane clears up as well. So when the Jews clear up the issue that's going on in their hearts, the internal issue, they get saved from the from the problem, from the from the threat. Okay, so we're understanding a little bit better or we're on our way to understanding a little bit better, what exactly happened? Okay, we understand that there was a military victory, but why did there need to be a military victory? There needed to be a military victory because we were under threat. And why were we were under threat? Not because the Greeks one day decided to, to oppress us, but because there was something internally that Jews needed to work on, and we successfully worked on it. And since we successfully worked on it in a sort of permanent way, what he's saying here is that when... Sometimes there's a microcosmic victory, and sometimes there's a macrocosmic victory. Sometimes there's an individual, and sometimes there's a, the, the whole Klal Yisrael has a breakthrough. And that breakthrough has permanent effects for the good. And when we commemorate something eternally for all generations, what do we commemorate? Why do we still commemorate it? Because we are reaping the eternal benefits of that breakthrough that they had at that time. That's what he's saying. Okay. Why is, why is this connected to lighting a menorah? We still don't know. We don't know that yet. Okay. The kasha tiknu legamri oise inyin ad hashedish shall clawless kinesis Israel. When the source within the Jews is fixed, be inyin shmahayem vala kol nefashish de bene Israel heim misukonim bepratze in such a way that from now on, for all time forward, the Jews are going to be relieved of that issue. That issue was cleared up in that time, and now, Baruch Hashem, it's behind us. We, we fixed it then. Oz, so then what do you do when you have a permanent victory, when there was an issue that was plaguing us, and then we got it behind us, we cleared it up, and we moved on. So then, Oz, Nikba, Yeshua Zu, that salvation becomes established as a as a, an, an eternal uh, celebration, something that you commemorate forever. Why are we commemorating it forever? Because it's not just that something cool really happened one time. It's that something cool happened, which is benefiting us, has been benefiting us all along since then, and continues to benefit us now. Okay. What is it? We don't know yet, but we're getting closer. Okay, Vakavu uh, Eze, we're going to flip the page. Vakavu Eze Mitzvah Lies Lisarusa de la Sata, but Eze Zman, Laham Shechaleim Kadushas Tikunze. Now, when you want to 
reap the benefits, when you want to sort of tap into and be aligned with the breakthrough that happened and that we're benefiting from. So what you do is you need some type of a physical action, something tangible that you can do. It can't just be passive. It can't just be, well, this is a special time. It is a special time. And there's a special energy in the world, the energy of, of, of the, the breakthrough that happened in the times of Hanukkah that's available every year at this time. But we need to harness it. So how do we harness it? You have to have some type of an action that you can do. What he calls here an isarusa de lasato, an arousal from below. There's an arousal from above happening anyway. But we need some type of arousal from, from below. We need some type of an action to harness it. Okay. The cold dover shall kedusha ain bo ba'atzme lelev ela ayedei eze iserus delasato. Any any holiness will not enter unilaterally on its own into the heart. It'll sort of be out there, it'll be in the ether. But to enter the heart, to move the individual, there has to be some action from the person himself. Or like we say, psicha machat. if you open up like the eye of a needle, and often the uh, famous uh, rest of the vort, which Rabbi doesn't bring, if you open for me, Hashem says, like the eye of a needle, I'll open up for you like... The uh, the corridor of the hall of the shall Ulam. At any rate, the point is that there has to be some type of action on our part. Yeah. Uh, what does he say? So the sages set up a mitzvah that would be appropriate. <clears throat> for opening ourselves up to have that particular holiness enter our hearts. Okay, so we still don't understand why the Menoida was specifically chosen, but we do understand that there needs to be some act that is a good tool or a technology for harnessing the particular spiritual energy which is available at any given time. And for whatever reason, Lighting the Menoida is the right technology for harnessing the energy that is unique to Hanukkah. Now, what is the energy that's unique to Hanukkah? We didn't say yet. But we did say it was something that once it was achieved, it was a permanent accomplishment and that we reaped the benefits from it until today. Okay. Let's continue here. Vyadua... The Arizal says, what did Matisyo do, the head of the, the Maccabees? He fixed Hoid. Hoid is one of the spheroids. You have Chochmimina Das, which are the intellectual spheroids. Or actually, maybe I should say, because Reb Tzadik is going to refer to uh, Kasser is the first sphere. You know, there's that different ways of enumerating the spheroids. So if you say Kasser, Choch, Mabina, then you don't say Das. But at any rate, you have the Gimel Rashainis, the first three, and then you have the the seven lower spheroids, which are Hasig, Vurit, Tveris, Netzach, Haid, 
Hyde we're going to talk about Yesaid Malchus. We'll also talk about Yesaid and Malchus if we get that far. I don't know. We'll see if we get that far. But <clears throat> Matisio fixed something that was damaged in Hyde. This is a Pasuk from Daniel, from the book of Daniel. Daniel is describing this great state of fear that he's having from this vision of the Jews in future exiles. Of course, he's in exile in Bavel, but he is seeing future exiles, and it's terrifying him. So he's describing losing control of his faculties. And he describes it as The Tzaddik says in brackets here, It says it in chapter 10 of the book of Daniel. I believe it's Pasuk Ches. I think it's Daniel chapter 10, verse 8. Those online can go check that up. And those who have this old technology called a safer, they could also check. <laughs> they could also check it. <laughs> I gave you the actual chapter and verse, so you could go look it up in any book of Daniel. Okay, Kashen is When this was revealed to him, dehine sar yoven bo ayin he saw the future Greek exile, the persecution that the Jews would suffer at the hands of the Greeks, of the Hellenists, the Yavonim. And he describes that as hoidi. Hoidi means my hoid. However you want to translate hoid, sometimes they translate it as majesty. I don't know if that means anything, or glory, or splendor. Splendor, splendor. what is splendor? Wasn't that a sweetener? <laughs> Splenda. So, hoidi. Yeah. We're going to say that hoid is also related to the word hoida, which means gratitude, humble gratitude, which is probably a better, not a literal translation of hoid, but probably a more functional translation would be humble gratitude. Okay. So, anyways. Daniel foresees the Greek persecution of the Jews. And he refers to it as a, like a dysfunction in the sphere of Hoid, in the faculty of Hoid. And Matisio came and he fixed the dysfunction in the sphere of Hoid, whatever that means, we don't know yet. That's why when we celebrate Hanukkah, when we celebrate that the hoid was fixed, we say the alanism, which is a way of giving hoidah. Hoidah is humble gratitude, but hoidah is also related to the word hoid. And that's why Hanukkah lasts for eight days. Because hoid is the eighth and we say it right. We say Vialanism in in the in the bracha of Maidim, which is about Haida. That's right. And by the way, in benching, it's funny because in Shminasr it's late. So you have time like in the middle of Shminasr, like, oh, did I miss Vialanism? No, no, it's later. But benching, it creeps right up on you. Because because where in benching, where do you say it? Also by Right. Naidilakha is also is. Or toida, 
So, and that's that's earlier invention, right? So it's not about if it's earlier or it's later, it's the context of where you mention Haidah, so wherever you say Haidah, that's where you say Yalan Yisim. And we know here, Neb Tzaddik is telling us Kabbalistically, that's because Hoid was damaged and Hoid got fixed. And um, Hoid is the eighth sphero, and that's why Hanukkah is eight days, right? The eighth sphero. He's, he, he says he counts from Kasser. Right, he says until Kasser. So Kasser, Chachma Bina, Chasid, Gvura. Tiferes, Netzach, Hoid. Eight. I feel like the count from Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. We still don't know what this means. Like, tell us what what is the real issue here? Netzach and Hoid go together. You, you never really hear about a Hoid by itself. It goes with Netzach. Netzach is on the right side, on the right axis. Kava Yamin. And the Hoid is on the Kava Small. But they're, they're mirror images of each other. And anatomically, when we speak about the Sphirois in terms of uh, the image of a body, like in Pasach Eliyahu, when we speak about the, the spheroids in terms of anatomy, right? Where we say chesed reya yamina, that chesed, kindness, is the right arm. And gvura, dreya smola, restraint or strength, discipline is the left arm. And tiferes is gufa. Tiferes is the body, the torso. What's Netzach and Hoid? So he says, Netzach and Hoid, Heim, Train, Yerchin, Train, Bein, Dithura. They are either referred to as the two thighs, because they're beneath the torso, beneath the torso, lower than Tiferes. So they're called the Shoikin. In Pasachelio, that's what he calls them, which are the thighs, or they're called the two bayin didchura, the two male reproductive organs. And what does that mean spiritually? Well, not just spiritually, biologically as well. Uh, what does it mean spiritually and biologically? The biological comes from the spiritual. We learned yesterday in the Tanya Chitas that the reason we have Eser Koyches and Nefesh is because it's Nishtalshel. It derives from the Eser Sphirois. And in turn, it doesn't say that over there in, in, in yesterday's Tanya, Peregimel of, of Lukotia Yamorim, but it says elsewhere in Chassidus that the reason that the body, the physical body, is the way that it, it is, is because that in turn is a manifestation of the configuration of the Koyches and Nefesh, which in turn is a manifestation of the of Hashem Sphirois. So the way that these two um, 
these two uh, body parts work is that I, by the way, I'm being I'm being careful not to I'm not sure if I'm censoring what words I'm using because it, I'm uploading it to Torah anytime or because I don't want YouTube to uh, think I'm the wrong kind of channel but not sure which one I'm more concerned about but at any rate um, yeah so but anyone who knows what train bay and the means it could figure it out so what is their function? They are In other words, their purpose is to prepare something that's to be given over, reproductively speaking. Just talking about it, that the purpose, the function of these body parts is to prepare the genetic material that the father will give over to the mother to gestate for nine months in the in the mother's womb. And you could describe it also in terms of emotional or cognitive functions, like a teacher, for instance, who's preparing a lesson. So there's how the teacher processes it in his own cognition and his own feelings about the subject, his own love, his own awe, but then the netzach and hoid is just before the transmission, just before I give it over, I have to attenuate. I have to mix and match and, and make sure that the right formula, the right combination is, is struck before I give it over. So it's like the, 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 the last adjustments before something is given over. That's why sometimes it's helpful to think of Chesed and Gvura as emotions, and Netzach and Hoyt as attitudes. Because an emotion is more something, it's, it's, more, it's more pure. It's more my actual feeling about this concept. Attitude is more, how should I approach it? It's more adjusting the, how do I go in for a landing? How do I actually get involved in this thing? An orientation, maybe even, <clears throat> you might call it. <laughs> so, Netzach and Hoyr represent the Koiches Hashpo. Veshom Hoyen Negias Sare Shel Esav, Beyankiva Vino Olavashalom. Now, <clears throat> when Esav or Esav's Malach, his Sar, <clears throat> his ministering angel, wrestled with Yankiva Vino, where did Yankiv get injured? He got injured on the, the, the socket of his hip, which damaged his sciatic nerve. And we have the prohibition of the Giranosha from that, from that story. But Abtsodik says something here interesting. That the ministering angel of Esav, he damaged... The hip socket. He couldn't. He couldn't have any dominion over the essence, meaning the more internal faculties. Because we know about Yankov, you know that he was totally emes. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we read from the from the Balatanya. He said midase shel Yankov is emes. Spoke about that. Anyways, Yankiv is Emes, Tiferes is Emes. 
And mitase shleima, which means that mito means the bed. His intimate life was perfect. What does that mean? His intimate life was perfect. That from his intimate unions with his wives came only tzaddikim, not like Avram who had a Yishmael or like Yitzchak who had an Esav. So mitase shleima, his intimate life was perfect. Ve'ain by psilas klal, he didn't have any negative derivatives like the aforementioned Yishmoel from who was Chesed de Klippa or Yitz, uh, or or Esav who was Gvura de Klippa, right? Avram was Chesed and the Psalus of Chesed, the Chesed de Klippa was Yishmoel and Yitzchak was Gvura and the Psalus of Gvura is uh, Gvura de Klippa, which is, which is Esav, combativeness, warlike uh, aggression. But uh, Yankov is Tiferes, which is also called Emes because it's consistency, it's harmony, it's truth is, truth has an act to be consistent. It's always the same. Mark Twain said, if you never lie, you never have to remember anything. Okay, something that's a lie works one place, doesn't work the other place. The truth is always the truth. So Yankiv is truth. Esav couldn't damage the essence of Yankiv, but he was able to get, he was able to put a little bit of damage on him on a superficial level. He hit him in the, in, the, in the joint, the ball and socket joint of the thigh. What we're saying is that that's equivalent to, remember we are saying before that, that Netzach and Hoy, they're called also, they're called, each one is called a thigh. So Netzach and Hoy are sort of the outer spheres. It's not the actual essence. They're, what do, I, what do I mean when I say they're outer spheroids? They're close already to the, to the delivery, to the, to, the outer, to the outer form. So that's all that the Sar could damage. Perik, probably Perik, uh, sometimes he translates Parsha, but makes more sense to say Perik. Uh Perik Ayin Zayin, chapter 77 of Bereshis Rabbah. It says, Betzadikim v'tzidkonius neviyim neviyais shiyatsu mimenu ve'eze zedereshel shmad. Talks about, I actually looked up this medrash over here. And it is at the end of Perik Ayin Zayin of Bereshis Rabbah. It says over here, it's talking about Yankiv wrestling with Sarai Shal Esav. And uh, it's talking about the, the Jewish people remaining unassimilated, specifically uh, not succumbing to intermarrying with the nations among whom they're exiled. So it says, uh, yeah, if the the nations of the world try to cause the Jews to assimilate through intermarriage, we'll we'll be able to say to them, your ministering angel could not uh, defeat us. Yeah, and you're trying to uh, cause us to assimilate through intermarriage. And he, that's what the verse says, the, the, the ministering angel of Esav 
touched, meaning damaged Yankiv's thigh. This is the quote that Abtadik brings, that he struck the righteous men and women, the prophets and the prophetesses, which would in the future come from, meaning be descended from Yankiv. And who are these tzaddikim, tzidkonies, and neviim, and neviyos? These are the great valiant martyrs of the era of persecution. Historically, there's an era of persecution. And it began with, Tzaddik says uh, a few lines from now, it actually it began with the Hellenist movement or conquest. Yeah, let's uh, look back inside here. Lost my place. Okay. He says right here that the era of persecution, oppression, which really we equate with the Romans, but it really started from the Greeks. The Greeks are a little bit before the Romans. Now, at that point, there was no more prophecy. The, it was the end of the era of prophecy. But they weren't full-fledged prophets. They were like junior prophets, prophets in training. It says to go look in the Gemorim Pesachim. And they had prophetic power. Why? Because from the thighs, which are Netzach and Hoid, that's where Nevuah comes from. Nevuah comes from Netzach and Hoid. Kiedua, like it's known. Actually, it speaks about this in many places. There's a whole long letter in Igeres HaKadosh from the Alter Rebbe in Tanya that speaks about this that uh, Nevoah is from Netzach and Hoid. That's why they're referred to as Nevi'im, because they have this connection to Netzach and Hoid. Not that they were real, full-fledged prophets, but they had a connection to Netzach and Hoid, meaning, as Rabbi Tzadik's going to explain, maybe I'm going to start to summarize, because we're getting uh, getting late, and there's, I want to jump ahead to another part. But basically this idea of preserving their integrity in terms of not assimilating specifically through marriage, specifically through marriage, which is the idea of Netzach and Hoid, which are the Koiches which are meant for Leida, which are meant for reproduction, and they're not to be misappropriated for other purposes. So... Uh, Maybe I'll jump ahead here. He speaks about, and I want to, yeah, there's a, there's a few, and uh, I hate to do this, but let's jump ahead a few pages to page 168. Um, look here at the beginning, there's a subchapter here. This is still within the same mimer, which is uh, mimer nun, nun Zion, or pedic nun Zion. 
that we started at the beginning. Yeah. But uh, th there's a sub chapter here on page 168. The first, there's different histories of why the Hashmanoi got involved, why they took up this battle. Uh, but it, there, in the Yoytzer, which is the poem, the liturgy that's written about it, uh, it says, Hoya tivol that the officer, the uh, they used to have a thing that uh, the head of the military, the military governor in any area, would have first rights with any kala, and uh, the, the the doctrine of of prima nacta. So the uh, the Hashmanoi would not allow their sister to be taken in such a way. And uh, Rabbi Tzaddik mentions, this is also mentioned in Gemara, not explicitly in Gemara, but in, in, in Pirish Rashi on Gemara, Vegam Rashi B'Shabes Chov Gimel, that's the sugya that talks about Gemara, about Hanukkah. So there on Daf Chov Gimel, Omed Aleph of Gemara Shabbos, why are women included in the miracle of Hanukkah or the celebration of Hanukkah? Because they were part of the miracle of Hanukkah. And what was their inclusion in the miracle is, well, the, their inclusion in the oppression, unfortunately. Very strong language. Reb Tzaddik says the main ness. Before he said it was the military victory, but now he spells it out more explicitly. Why was the military victory so important? Because if you remember, the the Hellenists did not initially want to conquer us, at least not um, not in the in the classical sense of conquest. They were okay with us being culturally colonized and paying obviously our tribute and our taxes, but um, they weren't going to force us to be uh, quote unquote second class citizens. They were very enlightened, very civilized. They would they would let us be one one with them. That was the whole pitch that they were making. Come on and be mix with us, intermingle with us, uh, specifically through the lure of of intermarriage. So the Tzaddik says the main miracle was that we didn't allow this. That we didn't allow the commingling, uh, the, the the spiritual holocaust of allowing a, uh, a seemingly enlightened, oppressive entity to invite us to become, to dilute ourselves, to, to lose our identity by, by marriage with them. Um, he says an interesting thing here. Al-Kain hurdus. There's a whole story at the beginning of Bava Basra, a wild story, actually, interesting. I got it to there in the beginning of the, the, the Masechta. But uh, Hurdus was a, was a slave from the house of Hashmanai when he tried to become a, uh, when he tried to marry into the Hasmoneans, he was not successful. Kamesh Kosovo Bereish Bava Basra talks about in the beginning of, 
of that Gemara. That is the essence of the holiness of the Hasmoneans, which lasts forever. What is it? Rebzadik characterizes the unique holiness of the Hasmoneans as the preservation of the integrity of marriage. So now we're getting a little bit closer to understanding what is the unique character of Hanukkah? Burning a candle? What does it have to do with burning it? Because of oil? Oil was an epilogue to the story. The main story was a war. But what was the war over? What did they fight the war over? Because remember, if we would have intermarried with them, we wouldn't have had, we wouldn't have had to fight a war. <laughs> so what was the war over? It was about the preservation of the sanctity of Jewish marriage. Very interesting. And I'm going to summarize here. But he connects that with Netzach and Haid which are the Kaiches Hashba. He also connects it with the idea of Yesoid. We know that according to Kabbalah, Yosef is Yesoid. Yosef HaTzadik, Tzadik Yesoid Eilam. And he talks about the fact that Hanukkah is in the weeks of Yeshev and Miketz, which is all about Yosef and Yosef, how he protected his sanctity, especially when he was tested with Ashes Paitifar. And all of these things are interconnected. It's all one thing. Okay. Oh, so much beautiful stuff here. Um, I think I want to just look at one more thing. So much wonderful things here. Um, maybe let's look mm. On page 170. Yeah, let's look on page 170. Uh, the first full sentence on 170. He's just finished speaking about Yasef and about Yasef's moral fortitude and how that's connected to Hanukkah. Okay. V'davar zehu b'sgalas b'poil. He's talking about this sanctification of, of uh, intimacy. Like we know about, again, he's speaking about the generation of, of Greek and Roman oppression. You don't see that Rosh Hashanah that often. The wanton sinners, meaning people who are deliberately not Religious. And empty people. People who are religiously empty. They chose to die as Jews. They chose to die as Jews. It's interesting in Tanya, he mentions how uh, the peculiarity of the Jewish soul that to say religious Jews died for the religion is not a chiddish. Religious Every religion has religious people who die for their religion. But what's weird about Jews is you have so many instances historically of irreligious people who died for the religion. How do you explain that? And here, here again, he spells it out. What were they for? What did they give their lives for? They didn't want to be assimilated. The Alkane. 
Therefore, neis de Purim nitin lichtoif. The miracle of Purim was allowed to be written. This is a Gemara in Yuma. It talks about uh, why Esther is called Shachar, why she's, why she's called morning or dawn. Because like the dawn is the end of the night, Purim is the end of the era of writing our miracles. If you think about it historically, Megillus Esther, story of Purim, is the last national miracle, wholesale national miracle, that we commemorate eternally. There's a mitzvah for it. And it's written, officially written. It's canon, like the Star Wars fans say. It's canon. By the way, Star Wars fans always talk about, is it canon? Canon is a biblical term. So, <laughs> is it canon? Can <laughs> this is a whole interesting topic. We should have a whole class on this another time. But there are svarim, which are contemporaneous to the nach, which are not, to use the proper term, canonical. I believe that is the correct pronunciation. Canonical. They are not canonical. Um, in fact, you know, we're in the, in the, in the, the Mishnah in Sanhedrin, when it says, Kol Yisrael Haba, and then it talks about people who are jeopardizing their portion in the world to come, and says people who learn Sfarim uh, Chitzainim. There's different interpretations of what those Sfarim Chitzainim means. Some say it just means secular books. But uh, one, one explanation is, I believe it's Rabbi Akiva. I have to look at it, look it up. I haven't looked, at it, uh, looked it up recently. Let's say it means the... Um, now here I'll use a really uh, academic term. I believe it's called deuterocanonical texts, <coughs> or the apocrypha. Yeah, you're gonna Google it for me. Yeah, deutero. Deutero means second. Like Deuteronomy is Mishnah Torah. It's the second repeating of the Torah. So deuterocanonical texts. Those are books that are contemporaneous with the Svarim of Nach but they are decidedly not redacted. They are not part of the Sephorim of Tanakh. And what's interesting is that in the Christian version, and there is no one Christian version, but in many of the Christian versions of the quote-unquote Old Testament, many of these books were included. Um, I'm sure we've heard of the Septuagint which is the, well, at least the Torah portion of the Septuagint, meaning the Chumashim, the five books of Moses, that was translated by the 72 elders. The story in the, it was in the Gemara Megillah, the, the 72 elders who were locked in separate rooms, told me the king uh, made them translate the Torah into Greek. So uh, the Septuagint, <laughs> At least the Chumash part of that was written by those 72 elders. And that's the quote-unquote Old Testament in Greek. And the Nach part of it, I should say Lahavdil because it's not Nach, but that the, the pseudo-Nach uh, part of it includes many of these books which were decidedly rejected, not included by the Anshe Knesset Sagdaila. Uh, and some of them are books about Hanukkah, 
there's a scroll called Yehudis. There are uh, there's a there's a scroll or a book uh, of Maccabees. In fact, uh, I guess it's a very long book because there's a first book of Maccabees and a second book of Maccabees. These are not reliable books. These are not part of our canon. And uh, going back to the Tzaddik here, the last wholesale national miracle that we have that is recorded in an authentic biblical text is Purim. After Purim, that's it. There may have been wholesale national miracles, but they're no longer recorded in the Bible. Hanukkah did not make the cut. Hanukkah is after Purim, much later after Purim, and Hanukkah is not in the Bible. Okay. So Reb Tzaddik now explains a deeper explanation. Why Purim is in the Bible? Why, to use the, the Gemara's term in Yuma, that it's Nitin Lichtoiv, it was given over, it was eligible to be written, whereas Hanukkah cannot be written. Purim is the end, is the end of the hashba, which corresponds to Yesoid and Malchus, which are the end of the body, the reproductive organs. Purim precedes not only chronologically Hanukkah, but Purim is the hachona, is the preparation. It, it primes things to be ready for there to be a Hanukkah at a later date. Shuhu levadei mahanisim shaloynitnu lichtev shinik bu Hanukkah is funny. It is unique. Levade, he said, is it is the only holiday, it is the only occurrence where you have a national miracle which is commemorated for all generations, but yet not written in any official canonical text. Like one or the other. If it was something that was only significant at the time and they stopped celebrating it after a few generations, I get it. Fine, it's not written. But here's something that we do continue to commemorate. Every Hanukkah, every year, we continue to commemorate it. But it doesn't have an official written recording. All those uh, apocryphal texts notwithstanding. By the way, the word apocryphal is also with a small a. Apocryphal is like a story that, you know, it's a good story. A Maisa Shahoya that wasn't really, wasn't really Shahoya, but, it, you know, it's a good story. So that's, they, they call that apocryphal. But the apocrypha were these, these books that were not included in, in Tanakh. So it's interesting. Kanaka is the only national miracle you will find where it's significant enough to be commemorated forever, but not significant enough to be recorded in, in the Bible? Like, one way or the other. I get it. If, it. if it's not enough to be in the Bible, fine, so then don't celebrate it forever. But if it's enough to celebrate it forever, how come it's not in the Bible? Like Purim. Purim's in the Bible. So he says like this. Ki hanisim shaloi nitnu lichtoiv these miracles, the Hanukkah miracles, which were not, which do not lend themselves to be written, 
They still haven't been fully revealed. You can't write the story because the story is not over. It's still happening. The full revelation of Hanukkah hasn't even yet come out, or at least a hundred years ago when Reb Tzadik was writing. <laughs> the story of Hanukkah is still going on. It's too deep, it's too much to cap it off at any one point and to write it down and say, and that's the end of the story. The Afshir, ki'im there's only, you can only capture an aspect of it for being commemorated through the generations. Rak neis Hanukkah This is such a beautiful concept here. In a way, Hanukkah isn't just about something that happened when the Maccabees fought the Greeks. Hanukkah is a catch-all for all, it's really beautiful, for all of the miracles, the ace hagolos, <clears throat> that happen in exile. Which don't lend themselves to be written. They can't be written. And yet, they have eternal significance. Rak the only way you can capture it is with the glow of a flame. <laughs> if you would try to write the story, you couldn't write the story because in a way, the story's still happening. What's the story? He's describing the integrity, the, the struggle to retain the integrity of our intimate lives, which is a miracle. The Jewish people's identity is a living miracle, a testimony to the integrity of, of our intimate lives. Because if all of our oppressors who tried to murder us didn't finish us off, assimilation should have. Intermarriage should have. And you can bemoan, what are the intermarriage rates? That's fine. You, you, can, you can look at it glass half empty. But let's look at it for a second. Let's marvel at the fact that we still exist, that after thousands of years in Gaulus, intermarriage didn't finish us off. So it's an ongoing miracle. That itself is, you can look at it pessimistically if you want. And, 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 and of course, there's what to be improved. And of course, we have to, to be extremely vigilant about this issue. But for a second, let's be positive. The, the miracle of the <laughs> preservation of Jewish identity through the preservation of Jewish marriage. It's not just something that the, the Maccabees fought to preserve. It's something actually <clears throat> that they, they had a watershed moment at that time. That's how he's describing it. Something that they accomplished that basically from that point on, something changed for the good. And I mean, tarte mashma, I mean that in both ways. It changed for the good, meaning in a positive way, and for the good, forever. At that point, what the, what the Maccabees accomplished in standing up against the lure of assimilation through intermarriage, that basically made it that the Jewish, the Jewish people would never succumb, would never be destroyed through the assimilation of intermarriage. That's basically what was accomplished at that time. And that's something we celebrate every year.
Now, how do you write that story? How do you write that story? You can't write that story. You know why? Because that story is happening every time some college kid on campus is sitting in class and some girl asks him to borrow a pencil and he has to struggle with his identity and doing the right thing. That's not a story you could write. It's not a story you put in the Bible. It's not a story you could read from a Megillah and Shul. It's a story that's happening right now. It's happening in thousands of places all over the world at this second, right now, at this very second. So it's a story that can't even be written in a book. Such poetry here. The only way we can capture it is through the symbol of the glow of a flame. Words can't tell this story. The light of the menorah tells this story. It's really, it's, it's gorgeous. Okay, let, let's finish it up here. Anyways, through the glow of a candle, whoa, the candle represents the, the, the glowing, the light of Yesoid. Yesoid is connected to reproductive uh, functioning. How Yesoid can shine and overcome in the realm of the superficial, in the realm of the of Chetzenius. And to cause not only that it should shine into the superficial realms, but then also permeate internally the Hainu Bechol Mine Arbovum to basically saying to nullify any type of potential commingling. That's that's really what the the Menorah is all about. And this is much, much more. I mean, this is uh, what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven pages. We, we, we read about, uh, I'd say, about a tenth of it. But uh, it's gorgeous stuff. Okay, anyways. <laughs> All right, Felix and Hanukkah.